everybody this is dominic d'angelo of sescoops.com and i am here today we are live as we have been on rvd's youtube channel and guess what guys guess who's here i i bet you can't it's rvd rob how you doing man good dude happy uh thursday as it is this is uh what time this airs this is a christmas special hit it right you know um <laughs> bring out the holidays. merry christmas dude Merry Christmas, man. Yeah, that's true. And it will be uh, pretty damn close to Christmas. So, well, um, I mean, isn't this air on Monday? Airs on Monday. Is it Monday Christmas? I can't even keep track of the dates. One yes. week, my birthday every year. Oh, how about that? Yeah. Yes, Merry Speaking Christmas, of, everybody. Merry Christmas, guys. Speaking of, yeah. Rob, how was the birthday? Um, I guess I don't need the Christmas hair. <laughs> 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 Tell him. No, he's already laughing. I think I already heard the uh, Christmas hat. Oh, okay. I oh, yeah, I did that. Yeah, I heard the Christmas hat. Sure. Yay! Rob never wears a hat. Well, you're gonna wear a hat? Oh man! <laughs> In the holiday spirit. Wow. This is a first. <laughs> What a way to start the show. Oh my god. Screenshotting this right now. Give me one second. Put the doobie <laughs> in your mouth when you're doing it, baby. Yeah, put the there you go. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 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 Merry Christmas, everybody. That was the most festive thing you've done this year. <laughs> That was tremendous. That was worth the price of admission right there, guys. Yeah, I'm all partying up. <laughs> right? Jeez. <laughs> so, yeah, Rob. How was party. Inside How joke. was your birthday? I talked about it. Um, it was good. It was, it was awesome. It was awesome. Um, um, what did we do? Did we do something? Did we eat or something? Did we um, no, just watch Petrie. Mm, no. Yeah, so the rest we can't talk about on YouTube. Oh, we're kicked off. No, it was uh, yeah, it was it was good, dude. We didn't go anywhere, and um, a lot of our time is uh, watching our doggy slowly, slowly wither away. Um, she was she was picked up from the emergency room. Uh, couple days before thanksgiving and and we were told we should expect like a couple days and it's been over a month and it's crazy because uh she still has good 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 times throughout the day where she's happy and frisky or whatever but then um um but we know that our time is very limited and she's losing weight and she's got cancer and she's old and so anyway she's a priority so um, I can't believe how many weeks I've come back in and said, Petrie's still with us because she already, she already got to go to her own services, which yeah. many, 
never get the ability to do. But we had to get together with a bunch of people and um, celebrated Peter's life a month ago. Wow, how about that? Yeah. Hey, so, that's kind of a roundabout birthday gift for you, too. You get to spend yeah. time with Yeah. That's the thing, as we were like, oh, my God, she's going to make it to your birthday. And then, like, boom, a week past it. Well, almost a week past it now. Okay. Really. It's about three days past it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, I know you don't really do too much for birthday stuff. Did you guys, did you get gifts, anything like that? Nothing to that effect or anything? I got some. I got some gifts. Um, yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's not like a... Uh, um, it's not like a, uh, uh, sitting at a, at a table and with a family sitting around it with a cake and candles. You don't like get a party party. hat on. But Dee did get me a cake though. That was she really nice one. of her. She made me one. Yeah. Oh, really? We're sugar-free. Sugar-free. I am. No, it was good. What flavor of cake? Peanut butter. Oh, yeah. You, oh, peanut butter's a great one. Um, it's probably been. A lot of years since I've had that even, so that was special. Oh, a little change of pace, switching it up a little bit. <laughs> well, cool. Um, I guess I wanted to, guys, if you want to uh, get stuff cooking, feel free to use the super chat. Uh, you can comment below, uh, ask a question, and um, be sure to like and share. Uh, that always helps the algorithm out with these live shows. We got almost forty people in in. Uh, in the zone right now. So thank you guys for joining us. Uh, we have a whole hodgepodge of people from different areas. Some guy, Battle Creek, born and raised, is in Blanton Senior. So that's where right. he's coming in. Nice. Billy, thank you. Billy. By the way, um, I was this many years old, minus one, when I found out about cotton candy grapes. Do you know about these things? Yes, I do, Rob. I do. I worked at Whole Foods and that that was a hit like and i worked in produce too so like anytime cotton candy grapes man i actually forgot about them so like you reminding me i'm like i want cotton candy grapes i never heard of them growing up i don't know if they were around in michigan but saw them here at a grocery store last year and we were like it does taste like cotton candy doesn't it freaking crazy and then oh man some of the grapes even though it says um not genetically modified on the label, some of the grapes we bought recently were like the size of plums. They were so big. And um, I always wonder, like, how are they growing these naturally and not modifying them? Because uh, Right, there's got to be something on there. That. Yeah. Huge. Some corner cut Maybe. tapping, for sure. Hmm. <laughs> Jeez. No, that, that stuff's great. Um, are you big? Are you into apples at all, by chance? Um, I don't know if I'm into them, but I like, I like them, but, um, I usually only eat them when they're sliced up. So that's how I do. yeah, I'll buy them in the bag sliced up and it tastes good. They're fresh, but even though it's probably is more econ- economically um, beneficial to just buy the apples and slice them myself, I don't do that. Yeah. I will recommend if you ever happen to go go into like a produce section and see there's opal apples and they're yellow mm-hmm. so that they, they look like golden delicious but they don't taste like golden delicious at all they're like super sweet and they are amazing they're one of my other favorite items that we used to have too and, uh, Ooh, I yeah yeah so keep that in mind um 
yeah, there was a lot of different kind of grapes. We had so much um, Concord grapes, the Muscat grapes, which were a little bit more bitter. And such. I could go on. <laughs> okay. But so if like, you guys have a produce question, feel free to use the super chat. <laughs> so, yeah. um, put a link to some grapes down below. Link to some grapes, yes. There's grapes. Mm. Well, um, something I also is there anything that happened throughout the week that you kind of wanted to touch upon with you or anything going on, basically? Um, that like follow up from last week or anything, anything in regards to that, Rob? Um, <clears throat> I don't think so, dude. I wrote nope. down. I wrote down like a few things. Um, I think all of it I'll just say for the end. Well, okay. here's something though. All right. Something that we were talking about. Katie mentioned this. I thought she had a damn good point. And um, and, um, and I thought, you know, that'd be interesting um, just as a topic just to hear people talk because um, you, you, it's really hard to put a dog down, but you put a dog, people put dogs down when they think the quality of life is shot and they're suffering and it's inhumane to keep them alive like that. So then it's a judgment call because then, you know, it's like, but does the, you know, is the dog getting enough good life or is the bad life bad enough or whatever, however you want to look at it, it is a judgment call. You are playing God. So the question on the table is, is that right to do? Most people would say, yeah, if the dog's suffering. But what Katie brought up is you don't do that with humans. If you think about it, um, think about old people that you go see in the hospital, your grandmas or whoever, or stuff you even seen on TV if you don't know anybody like that. But when they're when they're old and they're and they're dying and they're like, oh, life sucks, and they're hooked up to machines, and they um, uh, and they're you know they're they're complaining to the person that they're visiting, their guest, about, oh, I just wish God would take me in my sleep. You still, at that point, don't push a button and kill him. Dr. Kevorkian made something, you know, machine, the self-assisted suicide machine, which um, was based on the moral um, borderline that I'm bringing up right here, you know, and he was saying that it should be up to the person, especially if it's the per the first person um, recommendation saying, yeah, it's time, I'm ready to go. And the person, of course, would push a button and it would inject, I don't think it was cyanide, but whatever it was that, that would go into a person and kill them. And he, and he made this little van and drive around and, um, visit people and make it was like it was a death machine you know and it's now it's at um it's at a haunted museum here in vegas um baggins what's that dude's name baby zach baggins haunted museum has the kevorkian death machine and then people think oh it's gotta be haunted because all the people that went in there and and died and killed themselves which we don't know i was telling katie like hundreds of years ago right here this could have been a battlefield you know or a cemetery or whatever but definitely when you think about how many people there are and how often people die then how old the earth is you think about all the generations that have gone through the history's lost on some of them but um you know so like if 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 with people you let them die you know you 
do everything you can to keep them alive by all the means available. Um, then if you, you know, if you look at a dog different, then maybe you just don't look at a dog like a member of your family. Like a lot of us do and a lot of people don't, but, um, to to put the dog down and and then see the dog like perk up and have good moments on the way to the vet and be having regrets or whatever, you know, um, that's something that you'd have to be willing to deal with. If you just had your mind made up that, no, it's not the same thing. Put the dog down. So um, I thought that was worth talking about. What do you think? Yeah, that's really, it's really that when you mentioned that, like the dog perking up and like, you're taking it back. That took me back to when I just, when I put my cat down, like about uh, like a little over a year ago, it's like he had an issue that I wasn't like, I didn't know what was going on. He was really bloated and full of fluid. And they could have like looked at him with a ultrasound, but there was so much fluid there. They wouldn't be able to tell what it is. So it'd have to operate on him. And then after that, they would likely find something bad. And they were like, I was asking the person, I was like, what do you think I should do? And they're like, it'd probably be best to put him down. And like, I'm in this just room with the cat with my ex-girlfriend at the time and I'm holding him and he's kind of walking around like just kind of almost perked up like he normally is in certain ways and it's just like it's so heartbreaking to kind of like rough dude in that situation and make that call and it's like man it was tough it was tough and uh yeah it definitely it's and that's a great point Katie makes because yeah we don't do that with humans and you know, with animals, like obviously they can't communicate with us and, and anything like that, but it's like, man, you want to give them the fullest life you can possible. And it's, it's such yeah. a tough, tough, that's the, one of the tough aspects of having an animal. And then, you know, but I mean, ultimately I always think that the, the good outweighs the bad because you get to love it and give it a life. That it, it, I'm glad you said that. I was thinking the same thing, you know, like hopefully in the big picture, all the uh, benefits and the love are, are worth having to go through the those bad times, you know, that's, and that's what life is, you know, hopefully living is, is, is worth, you know, the misfortune of having to die. Right. Right. And that's what a lot, how many people say the journey is what really matters instead of the destination of it all, because it's like you get to the, have these life experiences. And I had so many pets growing up as a kid, and like I'm appreciative of, every one of them that I ha- I've had and it's just like yeah, to, to give that it. animal a life well lived is is something to be appreciative of and I I can only imagine how Petrie feels about it so yeah we're we're amazed every day we're blessed we have an extra day with her and she's just like you know like she's not ready to go she would tell us if she was ready to go you know but she has some rough moments where she's gagging and throwing up a lot you know and and then we have to think about it like, God, like I can see where if this was all life was for her, you know what, how the, that would suck, you know, but fortunately it's not, you know, the, it's only part of part of the uh, life at this end stage of the game for her. So uh, I, I just, you know, I thought maybe some of our listeners might be uh, pet owners, might love their pets and be able to relate. And, uh, you know, I love to give people stuff to think about. Absolutely, guys. Yeah, share some stories about your pets, too. Uh, feel free. I'll be sure to mark them. And, uh, you know, we'll, I'll try to get a few up here before we end. I might have told you this before. I don't know. But, um, you know, like like country people, 
they're able, they're like able to be so matter of fact and cold for, you know, and, and you know what I mean? They got to raise the chickens and the cows and then, and then kill them and eat them, you know? So you gotta, you gotta be able to do that and look at it like a matter of fact, like you're feeding your family and those motherfuckers sometimes when they get like litters that they don't want, like one of their animals gets pregnant as litters or whatever, they'll take them out in the woods and shoot them. I don't know if you know that or not. I've heard of that. And uh, Sabu said that that's how he got his dog. His brother was doing that. He ran out and, and uh, his dad, his brother was in the woods behind the house or something, shooting these brand new pups that were just born. And Sabu got there and, uh, and, and was just got there in time to save one. And he said he would have saved them all if he could have, but that dog became Sabu's pet for uh, years and years. Big black lab, awesome dog. Yeah. Black labs are great. Oh man. Yeah. No, uh, that farm life is completely different. Like I know uh, my mother. It was hunters. Yeah. Hey, even, even like hunters, you know, you gotta be able to, yeah. <laughs> you gotta be able to have a thick skin around your heart to even, go out and, and kill a mama deer, take her away from her family to hang in your garage, you know? Right. Right. And people, yeah. I mean, I grew up in a hunting town and everything like that. We'd get days off of school, first day of hunting and stuff like that. <laughs> so people yeah. would go, go out and hunt and it's like, big it aspect big where I grew up. yeah, it was big where I grew up too. Was it? Did you get days off from school? Too? I don't remember that. I don't know if that happened. I don't think so, but uh, it's possible. It's very strange. I remember seeing the deer hanging up in my neighbor's garage and I was like, Oh, but the dad was just like, well, you know, we got to eat. How do you think, how do you think you get the food that's on your plate? And it's like, I, I get that now. Like the, that's the view is like, you either got to do it or get someone to do it for you. But I'm definitely the guy that's going to get someone to do it for me. Right. No, I'm not, I'm not about that. <laughs> There's too much to deal with when it comes to that. I'm, I get too emotional when it comes to animals sometimes. Um, well, uh, something that was emotional, uh, not the best kind of segue, but uh, I mentioned it last week. I got to see the Iron Claw movie, and um, it was really heavy, very emotional. And, um, okay. you know, but they took some liberties with it, too. But I was fortunate enough to actually just interview Chavo Guerrero uh, yesterday about his role as the Sheik in the film. And he so was oh. got it. He was the original yeah. Sheik. Chavo was. Okay. He was the original Sheik. Yep, he wow. worked. Uh, he's Ooh, in one of the opening scenes. Oh, what happened? <laughs> I wiped the lens off and I'm clearer now. Should remember. Oh, okay, yeah, you're good. <laughs> All right, let's start over. That's a... <laughs> Alexa, turn off. <laughs> so, what did, yeah, what Chavo have to say about playing the Sheik? That's awesome. Oh, okay. So I asked him, I was like, what were your interactions? Like, did you get to interact? And like, he had a pretty strong relationship, it sounded like with the Sheikah. I'll read the quote that I have. He said, I knew him when I was a kid. You know, he was a wrestler with my grandfather. And he was just, I remember watching him and stuff that you do in Japan and stuff with Abdullah, the butcher who's very maniacal and different way of wrestling. He wasn't like a, like a leg wrestler in a sense. Uh, he was like this storyteller. He would tell her with blood and just this deviant person, ex-wrestler. He was so good at what he did. So I remember watching that. So when I played the Sheik, now it's he, he mentions how he does a, a little hybrid in a way of like, you know, doing it for the screen and uh, still paying homage to the Sheik. He said, now it's a little hybrid. I had to throw in 
like you can't just do straight storytelling. I had to throw in some moves. So anybody who's gonna watch this, and you'll you'll probably notice this too. He's like, well, the Sheik would never have taken a backdrop. But, you know, that's the liberties that we do there as well. But I would have tried to get, you know, some of the stuff that he would do in there, the biting and the eye gouging and stuff that, you know, that he's used to. So when I played that role, it's like I said, it's a hybrid, you know, and I have to put some of the in the chic stuff, but I got to put some of the stuff that keeps the people watching and entertained. So he kind of yes. balanced it out. He was talking about So pretty neat. Nice. Pretty neat. Yeah. Yeah. Good for Chavo, man. I've, I've always liked Chavo. I can't I can't think of anybody that's come across him that's you know said anything except for that he's cool and a gentleman um i mean you know he would he i could see him standing up for the boys if somebody that was pestering the boys on the outside it could come across that way because he's old school but um i don't even know a particular incident really that but um good guy and i i like seeing him um doing his thing he's uh you know he was in glow the, the Netflix series yep. and he helped uh, train them for that. And, uh, and I know he's been, I think he's been in heels. I think he's, I think he was one, I think, I don't know for sure, but I thought he was part of that, but either way um, it's, you know, it, it reminds me of his uncle Mondo. Um, when, when I first came to LA, this was my first day in LA, Louis Spicoli had picked me up from the airport and um mm -hmm we were driving down to San Pedro where Luis Piccoli lived. And every time we would pass by anybody that remotely resembled a possible celebrity, it would be a funny joke for Louis to point them out, you know, because I was excited to be in LA, you know, I'm like, dude, I want to watch, I want to see Pam, Pam Anderson watch the film Baywatch, you know what I mean? And um, show me, you know, show me where, uh, where the, where Hollywood Boulevard is and stuff. What if, you know, let's go, let's go. I went home from the airport. We'd drive by someone, he'd say, look, Harrison Ford. And we'd look and he'd be like, man, that guy doesn't even look like Harrison Ford. We'd drive back by, you know, and someone, he just kept doing that the whole time. Um, you know, we'd pass a black dude with a mustache. Look, there's Sammy Davis Jr. You know, we'd be like, man, come on. <laughs> We go. We get up to this car, this um, this long sedan, and Louis goes up there. He goes, goes look, it's a shoot Mondo Guerrero. No, really, it's a shoot Mondo Guerrero. Look, and he's like, hey, pull over, and uh, and uh, Mondo Guerrero pulled over, and uh, and Louis pulled over, and they started bullshitting, and Mondo was talking, and I just like I said, it's my first day there, and Mondo was talking about the Hollywood business, you know, saying that. Uh, you know, he does that now and that he's into doing the stunts and um, uh, helping choreograph, wh whatever, you know, wherever his skills can be. And he was talking about a day of meetings and auditions or whatever that he was just coming back from. And I remember thinking like, wow, that is so fucking cool. That's what I love about Hollywood. And so it's cool to see Chavo in that same, same, same path doing the same thing. Yeah, I, it's kind of neat, too, because I started off the interview uh, his dad was actually in the 1978 Carl Reiner film, uh, The One and Only, which is the, a pro wrestling movie with Henry Winkler. Mm, and, okay. he, yeah. and he played in, like a character just named Indian Joe. And he was only in there for a brief second. I was like, do you remember that stuff? And he's like, yeah. He, and he actually said that that was a huge motivator for him to later get into the show business aspect of it. Cool. His dad do it. Oh. 
So pretty neat. Yeah. Um, I love Mondo Guerrero. And I think uh, so what's always cool I hear about is DDP always gives credit to Mondo Guerrero because I guess during the AWA, he had a, the Pat Tanaka with the Diamond Exchange was in a tag match. And Mondo Guerrero, was, I think it was tag with Chavo maybe. But he, uh, Joe, did a leaping plancha off the top to DDP, who was a manager at the time. And DDP always credits him as like such a big, that was a big moment for him. And then he was able to do it too when he turned like 50 years old or 60 years old. And that's pretty, pretty cool stuff. So, yeah. yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I love the Gros. <laughs> yeah. But. Definitely. Uh, they definitely have a lot of respect in the industry. Right. For sure. Um, so, yeah. Whenever I'm, whenever that I'm over with a, with a family that's over, it always means a lot to me. You know what I mean? Like when when I know that, um, like the Guerreros, uh, you know, same thing with the Samoans or um, the Hearts. You know, like whenever I find out that there's like a family, a dynasty, and, and that I have their respect, that they uh, appreciate what I do, that that it's pretty deep. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned like you had a you formed a friendship with Brett. Um, did he talk about you and your work at all, like in the ring and all to an aspect when you guys would, you know, have conversation or anything? Not that I remember. Um, mm -hmm. I don't remember ever, ever talking about that. No. No. Okay. Yeah. I mean, people say like mention about talk about dream matches and stuff like that. And they always mention him and Kurt Angle would be great, but dang the style that you guys had, like you using as Jim Ross would say, your educated feet and Bret Hart yeah. being like the sharpshooter. That's a good story. You could tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, Brett was the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be. But um, I don't know. I always wonder if my style would be maybe a little bit snug for him and I would disappoint him in that way. And I would hope not to, but um, I look at that as a possible outcome. Right Damn, man. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is how it goes. <laughs> Chris J, thanks for the super chat. $5. He said, no question. Hope everything's going well for Dom and RVD. Excellent podcast. Thank you all. Awesome. Appreciate that, man. Wish we got more more feedback. You know, I didn't invite a guest this week and I thought maybe we'll get some feedback and figure out like what people think. Is it better with, better without? Because I like it both ways, you know, like we had uh, Marty on and then uh, I had my friend Tim Chismar on. I got a big list of people that I would like to have on and, and, and we will, but I don't know if I should have them on half the show or have them on for the whole thing or um, or what. And, and this way, um, when we're doing it, then I'm not interrupted and I can, I can speak my full thought out till I'm done and thereby coming out with some amazing stories that people get to hear that they might not have. And so that's something that I give up when I have somebody. So this week, wasn't planning on having anybody. Next week probably will. But if you give a fuck, leave us a comment and uh, let me know what you think. Keep us posted. Yeah, we're always game for feedback. I'm always up for it. Constructive criticism is always good. And actually, wow, this actually is a good segue into my next topic I was going to mention to you. So um, MJF got inducted into the National Jewish Sports Hall of Fame this week. And uh, the website uh, that I work for, sescoops.com, actually had an exclusive conversation with them. And he gave an interesting perspective 
on how he thinks why some fans have animosity or very critical of AEW in certain ways. So I'll read the quote to you, and I'd like to get your thoughts on it, too. So, he says, I genuinely feel, and he was talking about, like, he's able to say that um, that they're so different and kind of abrasive, or not abrasive, but just different in a way. He was comparing that to his Jewish heritage in a certain way, how it kind of, like, pushes back against society in certain ways. So here he goes. He says, I genuinely feel the reason that a lot of the time you'll find a lot of, and don't get me wrong, there was most certainly constructive criticism online, genuinely, but you'll find a lot of non-constructive criticism online. Just wild, irredeemably messed up shit that people are saying that either is untrue or just mean, you know? And I think the reason that that's happening is Monday Night Raw is the longest reigning episodic television show of all time. We have only been around for what? Four and a half years. That's new. That's different. And what's different? Different scares people. So I actually do agree for once with Tony Khan's assessment of AEW being the challenger brand to WWE. And I think that's the issue. I think that's the, that the issue is that we're fresh, we're new, we feel dangerous to people. And I kind of get off on that because I get to be the world champion of that danger and of that change, just like I get to be a champion of the Jewish people. So... Rob, obviously, like you, as ECW, you guys were very much of a uh, underground slash challenger kind of brand in that regard. You guys kind of had that certain aspect or identity. Um, what do you feel about that in regards to like being an up and coming brand and MJF's comments on that? Um, I'm not sure I understand the question. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, so it's just being a brand that is kind of different in comparison to WWE and the fans criticism towards that. Do you think that is part of the criticism? Why a lot of fans are criticizing AEW? Cause it is different. There's like the pace of the matches and the liberal use of blood more so, and certain aspects of how they tell stories is very different than in comparison to the WWE. And do you think that's an aspect of, that maybe is why uh, some fans uh, blow back at AEW? Mm, yes, I think so. The question is, hey, hi, Jennifer, I love you. I see you in the chat room. <laughs> hey, Jennifer. <laughs> um, the question to me, though, is that the way it should be or not, which I'll, my perspective on that is that AEW is a lot more reflective of today's current product. Um, but I think the new young guys in WWE also represent the new the new product. They just seem a little bit more detached to the foundation because of the corporate structure of WWE, all the agents, all the authority that trickles down to the talent keeps everybody abreast of when they're crossing lines when they're doing things that aren't done for a certain reason i feel like with aew it's more free thinkers maybe a little more you know like hey there's no reason not to do this move and it's not that no one ever thought of that move there's a reason you know nobody wanted to take that move before it's dangerous or whatever or it kills the business you know what i mean the setup 
for that move is not worth executing that move. There's one for me. I'm old school. That's a rule that I would teach if I was teaching a school or a seminar. And I don't, I don't like, you know, I'm not too open about all the inside information that, that, that I would share within the industry. But I would say, um, I would say that though, I would say if the setup exposes the business, that's not worth the fucking, uh, the move, I don't care what kind of pop you think you're going to get. And that's, you know, not just today that, that, that goes back to like new Jack, you know, going up to the top of the building to find a scaffold to, to jump off of, or, or to throw the guy off of. But the whole time you guys are walking hand in hand up 20 flights of stairs, killing the fucking business, you know, for me and Sabu, we'd watch that stuff and sell and it gets worse. And I don't want to name some guys, <clears throat> But some of the guys, the, the they they look like they don't even think anybody's watching them. They they walk hand in hand up to a high spot and go up there, go to the edge, look over, get prepared, get all ready to drop, and then they just they just you know just want someone to swing at them, and then and then they just jump, and then they think they're gonna get a pop just because they went through the tables, and maybe they will get a pop, but I'm not popping. You know what I mean? I'm not. I'm like, oh my god, like you just killed the fucking business, and, and I I don't like to see that. And there is a lot of that kind of a feeling um, that that comes out on the newer products, and I think that that's a big part of it. As far as people saying, you know, it's different. Yeah, but it's different because of this. It's different because it goes outside of the rule that we used to have of protect the business first, number one rule, but it's not anymore. So the further we drift away from that, the further we make it a safe, friendly work environment for everybody and make it politically correct. And and the more we change it, everyone's always going to be bitching that, oh, it's not like it used to be because it's not, you know. But um, it is what it is. And so that's why I think AEW and their talent, I think they're like, hey, you know what? Uh, I hear you, but I'm not really listening. Eat my dust. We're doing it, you know, and uh, we're proving everybody wrong. And so that's their perspective. That's that's what makes change. Is it good? Is it for the better overall in the big picture? It's not good for the old school foundation of what wrestling was, but if I'm going to accept that that is a thing of the past, then why? Now I got an open, clear mind to to look at it from a different perspective and to judge it by what it is. Is it entertaining? Fuck yeah. Are people watching it? Yeah. You know, uh, is there a lot of talent? Absolutely. So um, I think we have to change our standards because the same product isn't going to be offered anymore that used to be. Right. And you look at from past generations each generation has been kind of almost critical of the previous generation before yeah like, oh, oh we did it a different way or you know yeah. you know there's certain aspects where like stuff that you would do would maybe upset i don't know like a, a luthez or something out of off the top of my head <laughs> i don't know but it's just like that it's just always going to be kind of changing and you either have to kind of adapt to it and accept some of it but there's like he mentioned too, like MJF mentioned in the quote that there is like viable constructive criticism here and there that happens. And like, that's something you have to take onus and uh, acceptance of and dismiss the haters of it all. 
So it's just yeah. it's through that kind of thing is the tough aspect. Um, yeah, it's really difficult to waters to navigate as talent. You know, I mean, life's hard enough, but inside this mysterious, phenomenal, half real world that doesn't live by outside rules it's really hard to to really believe in yourself but don't believe in yourself too much and and know in your heart that you know you're better you're, you'd be the last one standing in the room but don't don't you know don't let don't don't vibrate that don't let everyone know that you think you're better than them like you're a pompous ass or anything but at the same time you know keep that confident show it in the promos but don't you know don't have so big of an ego that you're going to get heat for everyone back there it's really it's really not that easy to find the balance. You know, it, it does take a huge fucking ego to do. And then, and then you got to hide it. Basically you got a huge ego. And then if you can't humble yourself, then you got to hide it until you learn to be humbled. And eventually you'll realize, wow, all those promises that were made to me that blew my head up. They're not all coming true. You know, I think I believed in too much BS and everyone I think has to go through stages of that until they get humbled. I think, I mean, there's exceptions to everything. I'm sure there are to this as well, but um, it's it's really uh, it's it's a real challenge, you know. Like, uh, you gotta be nice to the right people politically, get on the right people's good sides, and uh, maybe not even be seen with the wrong people. That's how catty and and, and childish like the, the 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 political game can be, and that's a big part of it. Yeah, um, Mike, I'm kind of curious, is there somebody in retrospective, when you look back at everybody you worked with, you know, from any type of promotion that was actually really good at keeping that balance of, you know, having an ego, but being able to harness it in the right in appropriate moments, so to speak? Um, if I understand what you're asking, um, like it's easiest when you know if you can just turn it on and turn it off with your character and when it when it comes to turning it on you know then uh tap into that ego but you eventually the best is when you know that character you know what i mean like you want me to do a cameo for you you know it's your uh it's your it's your bar mitzvah <laughs> and you want this to to go you want this for yourself because uh uh, you're giving yourself a gift or whatever, then boom, I just know RVD enough to to live through um, the character to say what the character would say, even though I personally wouldn't. I'd be like, oh, you know, hey, uh, congratulations. That's a Jewish thing, right? But, you know, boom, you only turn the character on. Boom, this is Rob Van Dam, Mr. Pay-Per-View, Mr. Hall of Famer, the whole damn show. And you know what? Speaking of damn, damn, it's your bar mitzvah. Whoa, I know you got all your people there together, and I'm invited too, so I feel special. So thank you to your wife, Karen. You don't have a wife, Karen. You made this cameo by yourself. You made this request because you don't have any friends. No, I'm just joking. I'm, but I, I'm just going off there. But uh, the thing is, like knowing your character and being confident in in that is is enough to to not have to live through that. You know, 24 hours a day. For me, I don't know. It, it's different for everybody. You know what I mean? It's it, you know, when like someone comes out to yeah. me, if someone comes out to me and I'm not at an arena but i'm at the grocery store and and they say 
dude, you know you're like the best fucking wrestler that ever fucking existed? You know, then, uh, I mean, I'm just going to be like, hey, thanks, dude. I appreciate you. You know what I mean? But uh, it's not something that where I'm like, where, where, my, where I'm like, yes, I do know that, you know, and this guy, this guy knows it too. So we, we both know this common fact together. Well, wow, he's cool. You know, it's just, it's subjective. It's a compliment. It's great. And it feels good to think that this guy thinks that highly of me. Um, I think, you know, with time, you learn to humble yourself. Life humbles you. You're, you're going to get disappointments. You're, who goes through decade after decade after decade through their whole life with no disappointments, having every possible best case scenario come true? Probably not too many, you know, and the more disappointments you get, you learn to pull back a little bit on, on your expectations. You know, you start adjusting a little bit. Uh, eventually, you know, the, there you are. You're humbled. Right. One way or another, life is going to humble you. It'll hit you at some point or another. And so it's kind of good to keep it in perspective when you can, if you're at the top of your game, so to speak. <laughs> uh, I think, something that kind of ties it back to the Chavo conversation too, is he mentioned to the guy that played Carrie Von Eric in the movie, uh, Jeremy Allen white. He mentioned to him, he's, he said to, he said when working, he's like, it's not necessarily the moves that are the most important. It's what happens in between the moves and like paying attention to those little details of the aspects of going in, into it. It's not the car crash that tells the story. It's what you build up into it. And how you connect it all, and he would say he said that that is an aspect that kind of tends to miss in the modern product of wrestling nowadays, and has kind of ventured away. Is that something you'd kind of agree upon? Is like the in between the move storytelling aspects of it all? Absolutely. That's why I can tell that they're not committed to to the mindset because they take breaks in between the moves and check out and check back in. It's almost like they're saying, okay, I got to run across the corner. I got to be in that turnbuckle at uh, 7, 57, and 32 seconds. Boom. Then once you're there, it's like, okay, I got 10 seconds to check out. <laughs> All right, I'm going back into work. That's what it looks like to me because what they're doing in between is leaving, going somewhere. They're not in the fight anymore. They're not sensitive to what their body's feeling anymore. They've completely, uh, they, they completely um, abandoned the mindset so that they can think about what's coming next and maybe even want to let everyone else know, including the crowd, that they're ready for the next spot. They're in position. And then they're gonna, and then when the guy comes running at him, they're gonna move when the guy's halfway across the ring and the guy's gonna keep running into the corner, even though the guy just left 30 seconds before to make him look like a dumbass. All of that tells me they're not committed to the mindset of the competition. Um, that's something that got beat into me. You know, we, we, we stayed commit the whole time. I was like, his shoulders are down, get on him, jump on him. You know, he's choking you, grab his hands, try to pull his hands off of you, you know, like fucking bam, you're out of the turnbuckle that fucking hurt your back. You know, you fucking like, like uh, believing in, 
to where it's all, you know, really happening to you when your mind takes a, a special kind of commitment that uh, takes experience and also takes a special comfort that, that some people with all the experience in the world aren't going to get. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a great way to put it too, especially like the comparison of like, Hey, clocking in at work and oh, I got 10 minutes and then you get back into it. It does have that vibe where it's like, you're getting me taken out of the story if I'm watching it and you're not fully trying to be the aggressor on this thing. Uh, there's an aspect that I, I always kind of grown at when I see uh, wrestling is when a pin attempt happens and the guy kicks out at two and the guy acts like, <gasps> like, what the fuck? Like, how did he kick out? It's like, you don't react like that. You, If you're in a fight and trying to win, you're going to just keep pounding away at him or keep at, on your game plan. You know, you're not going to just be like, oh, my God. Like, you know. Right. Yeah. Not, not every time, maybe once in a while, if you really thought you had them, but, and then another thing on that, that I see a lot of is the, the guy on the bottom will just kick, they'll kick their legs, but their shoulders aren't, don't even come off the mat. Right. Yeah. I see that so yeah. much. I'm always rewinding it and pointing it out to Katie. Like, look, that motherfucker's still pinned. Who the fuck let them out of kick out? One, two, three, your shoulders are still on the mat, even though you just kicked your feet. That's not, you didn't do anything. You didn't do anything. You did not change the pin at all by kicking your legs if your shoulders didn't come off the mat. So that's something that really bothers me. Yeah. You not only like make yourself look bad doing that, but you make the referee look bad too, because he's like, geez, your shoulders are down. Why is he making the three count? And also one could say the referee makes himself look bad if he doesn't hit that third uh that third pound absolutely depends 100%. on the depends on the policy and the job that used to change with wwe all the time you know they'd come around and if they don't kick out i want you to count three you know if they're not in the ring by the time you count five if they don't let go of the choke and and, and they would do that for a while and that was to train the the wrestlers to believe in what they were doing but they really didn't do enough of it, but I thought it was great when, when, when they made that the policy and they were like, yeah. uh, refs fucking, Hey, you know, how, how are people going to believe it? If, if you don't believe it, fucking count them down if they don't kick out. How often did that happen? Rob on, would you say when they instilled that rule, like, would that be a common thing or would people would just be more on their toes about it? When I was in WWE from 2001 to 2005, uh, it, it came around at least twice, at least twice, and may, maybe a third time. Third time could have been later, um, but it came out uh, at least twice. We're, we're okay. This is the rule. This is how it is for now. And then after like so long, then it changes. That's true with a lot of things. The policies are always uh, rotating. You know, there could be like, a, hey, no fighting outside the ring anymore. That's a new rule. And then a few months later, that's going to change. We thought maybe that's what the dress code was going to be, but fuck, they never change it. <laughs> and all of a sudden, now we got to start wearing pants and long dress pants and dress shoes and button up long sleeve shirts. Whatever. I don't think it was, it wasn't long sleeve shirt, but anyway, I thought that was just a new policy that was going to last for a minute, but that would happen a lot, you know, like, okay, now, if the call time is uh, five o'clock, you're going to get written up if you show up at uh, five fifteen. And so the referees would be standing by the door with a pad and paper. They were the chosen stooges. Um, Mickey J. One time, I was like, "Dude, you're stooging on us!" I couldn't believe it because I just knew him so long. 
you know, I've known him since I was like 21 in Florida. Like, dude, you're stooging on us because he's standing there right now. The time we walk through the door to show up, and he was like, "What the fuck do you want me to do, Rob? It's my job." And I was like, "He's got a damn good point." <laughs> <laughs> you know what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, the, yeah, no, it's it's got to be a tough position to be in as a referee, but um, I, I feel like yeah, there's just all those kind of rules change and you just got to kind of adapt to them and accept them and whatever happens, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, and I'm sure I always, like that one. I always liked yeah. it when that was the rule, when the refs, uh, when the refs, uh, um, calls were official and it would piss people off. They were caught off guard out there, but that was the idea. I think was you got to step up your fucking game. Right. You got to be on your toes. You can't be just uh, hanging out and looking at the lights, you know? <laughs> so, um cool uh what else did i want to mention to you too oh okay so this is another aspect and uh katie talked about this uh a couple weeks ago i believe what i brought this up to her and i kind of want to get your perspective so there's news that broke that both charlotte flair and bailey had signed new deals with WWE, like a long contract extensions and apparently reportedly uh the deal that charlotte got is one of the most historic or, or biggest ones that a woman has ever gotten in WWE history. Wow. And so it includes like a bus apparently too, like, you know, so like what Cena and Cody Rhodes and Randy has and all that stuff. And so, and then, yeah, it was just reported today that Bailey signs the new deal with WWE. And then Becky Lynch was in an interview and she mentioned she is going to be a free agent in 2024. Her contract is not reported yet to be extended, but, you know, uh, it's supposed to expire, I believe, in the summer of 2024. Anywho, she mentions how she wants to retire with them. But it really speaks, all this news kind of breaking kind of really speaks to how women's wrestling has really taken uh, a new level, like in regards to how popular it is and how essentially it is into the, into the show. Um, I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on the state of women's wrestling. How she thought it was very successful and really cool how, you know, they're getting a bigger platform. Uh, what are your thoughts on women's wrestling, the state of women's wrestling? Yeah, I, I think that's great. You know, I think um, that uh, from what I understand that the contracts are are bigger now and, and it's not, it's just something I read. It's not, it's not even something from like a reliable source, but I, something, you know, that YouTube to, taught me that could or not be true that said, that they were signing talent to a much uh, bigger, um, higher money contracts now, that that was something that was already going to go into effect before the big merger um, with uh, UFC and Endeavor, whatever. So um, so that plays right into this. And it's it's I think it's great to give the women their opportunity like this because uh, women wrestling is very popular and uh, for the first time in in the wrestling industry that I know of, the women give the men a run for their money in the talent department, you know? So it, it used to be, and I don't care if someone disagrees with me, then, you know, I disagree back. <laughs> it used to be, it used to be that you could count on the girls match to suck. 
they they it was it was an added attraction that was cool like midget a midget match you know like ooh there's a lady a ladies match on the card tonight and therefore it didn't necessarily matter even what the girls' names were and they built up from there by some of the girls getting reputations and uh, getting followings still in like 2001 when I was in WWE for the first time. Um, and you look around at the, all the girls that were there, there was a huge difference between the girls' matches and, and the guys' matches. And um, and the girls are beautiful, um, don't, don't get me wrong, but they were not kicking ass like they are nowadays. I only knew of women beating the shit out of each other in Japan at the time. And then, you know, I, I don't... You, I mean, let's. Who, who was there, right? I mean, it was uh, it was Tori and Stacy and uh, and Trish and Victoria and um, the um, the Holly. Um, oh, Molly Holly. Molly Holly, thank you. Ivory. And, yeah, thank you. You know, and and um, and I don't mean anything uh, bad on them, but you know, they would get together every day and work out with Fit, and they they didn't they weren't they didn't come across like natural fighters by any means. And there was a big difference you could tell. And nowadays that's kind of a little bit more. I think what's, what's spread out in there is uh, like the girls didn't have that commitment to where they're really competing, trying to hurt each other. You know, um, I feel like a little of overall now with the new age generation style that some of it is a little bit more like that in the respect of that maybe it comes across more like a little bit higher percentage on the working together a little lower percentage on the competing against each other i think that says it enough and with the girls it seemed a little bit more about getting into the spot or being in the right position uh as opposed to the guys that seemed more natural so having said all that, and hopefully I didn't get heat with uh, too many too many people, especially the, the ladies, um, the girls now that have been kicking ass on, on, on TV uh, for the last couple of years, it's a, it's a whole different breed. You know, the, um, they get it. They get it. And, and it seems like the best have come forward. And even with guys, you know, there was – in 2001, there was guys that were on TV that weren't that talented. They had jobs because they were jacked. They had muscles. And so the writers would have them squash all of us uh, talented guys that were there. See, I told you we all have egos. And uh, and then afterwards, oh, that guy doesn't work. Let's get rid of him. Uh, bring in another big guy and do the same thing again. There was a lot of that, whereas now there's really not that much room, man. If you're I mean the 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 least talented and able people on TV now, you know, would have uh, would have been probably upper card based on the talent back back in the day. And the style has changed that much, with or without guidance, to to what it is now by the favorable moves, the things that were really cool that stuck out to these guys that they wanted to do that inspired them to wrestle. So here they are doing it, but they didn't have the Sheik uh, or any Killer Kowalski beating the shit out of them 
you know, the entire time they're in the ring, making sure that they know that they're they're in a fight. Yeah, um, it's like you look at those guys that added that legitimacy to it, and some of their backgrounds added to it, but just the the physical nature that they would bring to it. And a lot of the women wrestlers today, they can absolutely kind of convey that in the ring too. And it's it is kind of cool to see. And like I always say too, it was two years ago, I believe, the WrestleMania in Dallas, WrestleMania twenty eight. The match of the the whole two nights, I would have said, was Becky Lynch versus Bianca Belair. Like they tore it up, and like that had like Steve Austin versus Kevin Owens there, and they had a lot of high profile matches there. But from a in ring storytelling standpoint, they were the best ones on the card. And a lot of people argue too that even last year was Charlotte Flair versus Rhea Ripley, and that was the show stealer there too. So it's like it's kind of cool to kind of see that, and um, you also see it. Uh, Oh, Road Dog mentioned this is like how you and you you kind of touched upon it too. Is like it would be an event almost. Oh, a women's match is on the card, whereas now you can even put a women's match back to back and nobody would give it a second thought, you know, because it just fits right into the wrestling card. So and the, the aspect of it, so it's pretty cool to see Rob. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and they earned it. They really did. Like that's that's how far uh, the level has has come up of of women wrestling, and I'm I'm a fan. I think it's pretty cool. Absolutely. Uh, the chat's wanting to know, what are you currently smoking, Rob? Mm, what I know? Um, yeah, I don't know what it's, what it, I, I don't know what it's called. Don't Couldn't tell you. you. Couldn't tell you. Yeah, I've got like uh, three different kinds here that I'm smoking on, and um, I it doesn't doesn't have a label on it. I don't know what it is. Sometimes, sometimes my guy will tell me, and I just forget about it because it doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah, <laughs> you trust what he's giving you and all that stuff. So yeah, and I look, you know, when you look at the bud and you smell it and look at it, you get a, a pretty good idea of uh, uh, of how you're gonna react to it. Um, and then, and then, yeah, my guy knows me, but. It doesn't mean anything if he, you know, if he says, "Hey, it's uh, miss, it's tutti frutti," uh, you know, with um, crossed with uh, blueberry, whatever. Like, okay, great. Like, what am I gonna do with that? You know, I'm just smoking it. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, and I always no, feel like uh... pick up names anyway. You know, they've I've always known people to do that. Like my friend that owned the dispensary, he would buy all kinds of different weed and just rename it name it after us wrestlers and people would buy it because they thought it sounds cool whoa van daminator yeah i want to get some of that and they wouldn't know but it might just be og kush you know yeah all the time have you tried kevin nash's weed it's the uh the jackknife it's called or something i haven't no No? not yet yeah yeah i guess it's in michigan yeah okay i could maybe get you the hookup we'll see (laughs) well you could probably more than i would even Mm -hmm. um else was i gonna say oh yes before i forget the chat reminded me of this too and you i know you commented on it on social media uh live morgan getting arrested for having weed on her uh what what are your thoughts on all that i want to get your opinion since yeah well first off we don't know all the information and you know what i mean so we got to go by what we think happened and that's that's always the case my bus was back in 2006 
and probably half the people listening probably still have no idea what happened. They probably think I got busted for smoking marijuana. I didn't. Uh, it was in a bag, 18 grams. From what I understand, Liv Morgan was uh, charged with having marijuana less than 20 grams. Same. You put it that way, you can make it sound like that wasn't that much. But some of the idiots talking about me were like, dude, he had so much. He, he was looking to open up a dispensary and a pharmacy. And um, anyway, um, Florida is, is coming along. It's a medical state. Recreational weed's not legal. It's not a big deal with the state. It's not a big deal uh, with the country. I don't think it's going to be a big deal with WWE. Um, with with my bus, by the way, I got pulled over for speeding. They found the marijuana. They found a couple other random things that may or may not have been mine, depending on what they were. Um, but I didn't even get arrested. I drove from the site. You don't drive when you're arrested or when you're even detained. Uh, drove to the station, gave them some money, drove from the station, never went behind bars. Yeah, it never had anything to do with doing it with driving while high. Anyway, half the people or probably 90% of the people are now will be surprised to hear that or they won't believe it. That's what I think about what it seems like the story is that's out there. So with Liv, first I understand that she's got um, a synthetic cannabinoid maybe in the vape pen and she's got less than 20 grams of weed. Um, and then, uh, and that, um, what was it that she went through a red light or she was swerving back and forth. And then like automatically every report that I get states that as if that was the facts, which may or may not have been, but I know that cops will narrate a ticket the way that they want to. And they could easily say, well, I saw you cross the yellow line a couple of times back there. I want to make sure you're all right to drive. That doesn't mean you actually did it, but it's cemented now in her story that Liv was uh, driving in an erratic behavior where it caught the cops' attention. Maybe, maybe not. Who fucking knows? As far as the weed goes, it's not a big deal. Uh, anybody that thinks less of her because she had weed, then they're, they're, they're fucking, um, they're, they're stupid. You know? I mean, that's just, uh, I mean, that's your right though. That's your right. And that's your values. <laughs> but, uh, I don't know. I mean, eventually everyone's going to learn anyway that they had it all wrong. I think she should be fine. I don't think that, um, you know, I, I don't know if it's true or not. I, I saw some reports that said WWE might be suspending her uh, because she didn't fail a wellness policy, but apparently, they, according to this perspective, she had admitted to it or something, which I don't even know if that's true. So um, I think either way, worst case scenario, she should be fine. And, uh, that, and, and I, this should be a statement that's proof that we're moving forward in the right direction as far as just people's rights, as far as living in a, in a free society, and as far as doing a, a more logical, um, beneficial thing with the damn plant, marijuana, rather, yeah. rather, rather than eradicate it and prohibit it. Right, right. 
Well, so uh, actually, your buddy Rene Dupree actually commented on it. And he said uh, the SmackDown Women's Championship, he claimed the company would only give her a slap on the wrist because they do not care about weed. He said, I think it's just going to be a slap on the wrist because they don't care about weed anymore in WWE. So they just, the guy parroted himself. But uh, so that's what Rene Dupree said. And then uh, I'm also reading a quote here. Eric Bischoff talked about it too. He mentioned, so he says, I know people that listen to me think, oh, he's such a hardcore conservative, which is absolutely not the case. I'm very conservative on some things, but I'm very socially liberal about others. I think the whole marijuana thing is a joke. I think the fact that she had a ticket because there was a vape pen in her car is just a silly-ass joke. I don't get that. There must have been something that the cop must have been having a really bad day, or maybe it was his his or her first day on the job. I don't know, but it's silly, and I'm glad there's no heat. So it kind of sounds like there hopefully is no heat with Liv on that. I was shocked to see her getting arrested because I was like, what? That still happens in Florida? I couldn't believe it, actually. Yeah, but Eric's comments uh, make me think that he must not watch all the videos on YouTube that I do because it doesn't take a cop having an especially bad day to pull someone over that doesn't deserve it. It's what they do all the time, all the time. It's what they do. And I watch mm-hmm. hours and hours of, and I'm not a cop hater. You know, I, I, I like good cops, but it's a dirty job and they look at everybody as if they're criminals and if they follow you long enough, they'll find something to write you up on. That's how they look at you. That means you're a criminal. You're you're a lawbreaker in their eyes. They just have to follow you long enough, and they'll find something on you. They that is everyone's perspective, and and they think they're above the law, you know. And, and they it's just um, it, it's just it's just weird. They 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 have this authoritative uh, perspective where they just feel like everyone should do what they tell them to do. And what's great is that sometimes I'll see videos of fake cops that are like maybe security guards or something. So uh-huh. they actually do have like a little bit of uh, validity to, to, to the outfit or whatever, but then they'll, but then they'll, they'll wear that outfit like outside of their job and actually pull people over and actually feel like they should be And And when those guys get busted, man, I love it. Cause they, you know, they're fucking, uh, they're out there uh, just like you and me only pulling somebody over and then uh, telling, you know, like, like they usually don't write tickets, but they'll take your ID and all that shit and, and warn you and, and really just make people hate cops more than a lot of people hate cops anyway. And that's not cool, but um, it's, 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 it's a dirty job, dude. So uh, for Eric saying that, I think that she could have very likely not crossed the yellow line or gone through a red light if that's what she was accused of, which I don't, I don't think that was her. I think that was someone else, but either way, that's if cops want to pull you over, they just do it. And then they just come up with something like while they're, while they're pulling their underwear out of their pants, when they get out of their car and they, they're walking up to your car and they're going, uh, you know, the reason I'm pulling you over is uh, your, one of your, one of your taillights wasn't working. I couldn't see your license plate or whatever the fuck they want. You know, it's great to just say you were driving a little erratic. I wanted to make sure you're all right. Or the very popular, you were going, uh, you're going a little bit above the speed limit, which a lot of times that's bullshit too. A lot of times, but it's their job. They go around and they collect money. Right. They, a lot of them I'm sure have to meet like a quota or whatever. Yeah. You know, yeah, like and that. that used to be a lot more popular. Now they deny it, but I think they still have it. 
But yeah, I've seen videos of that where they deny, ma'am, we don't have a quota anymore. And uh, But then I've seen other cops that, that there's some cops that, that flip and tell you about, you know, things and they, and they tell you about quotas. One of them um, that, that I recommend a lot, uh, it's called um, We the People University. Mm-hmm. And uh, this guy, Abaya Israel, he's a uh, former lieutenant, I believe. And uh, and this motherfucker, like, uh, does the videos and analyzes them and tells you, like, what the police did wrong or right in the video. But he really tells you from a, the deep end. He's a whistleblower, you know? Like, he'll be like, we're, we're taught, you know? Like, uh, we're taught to just, you know, if you don't have anything else, you just keep saying the same line over and over in a loop. That's what I'll say. Get down on the ground! Get down on the ground! Get down on the ground! They'll get stuck in a loop because they don't know, like, what else to say. And he was saying, you know, like, that's one of the first things they, they, they're taught to do, and they don't know. That tells you how experienced the guy is right there when they don't know the next thing. But anyway, uh, We the People University, I love that one. And there's several others too. But anyway, live, dude, uh, big deal. So what? Uh, Florida, catch up. What the fuck? Right. I thought Florida was kind of caught up, but I, I was wrong, I guess. <laughs> I had no idea. They um, have some uh, medical, they have some legalized cannabis programs, but as far as uh, across the board recreationally, we, we still have a, a lot of states that haven't done that yet to where any adult, can have it legally without a problem, but, but it's decriminalized in, in a lot of places where it's not even uh, legalized recreational yet. So at least, you know, there's nothing or a small fine. So um, I, this isn't going to be a big deal. No, I, I'm surprised it was, I was like, why is this news? <laughs> like I, I couldn't believe it. Um, but yeah, no, she's a talent too. She's really good at what she does. Uh, great presence on television. So yeah, hopefully it all just kind of flows over. Yesterday's news almost. Um, super chat. We have a super chat here. 10 pounds. The weekly steel chair. Thank you. He says, good evening, Rob and Dom from Scotland. Question for Rob. Does he think there's anything lacking from the business that was important during his career and what he would like to see get better? Says Reese. Anything stand out to you else, Rob? We talked about the little details and everything. Yeah, I mean, we talked about quite a bit, a little more than I usually even talk about. And uh, the reason it was so much different back then, when I got into the business, I was coming in on the tail end of uh, a period that had gone on for years where wrestlers made their living off of people believing their characters their uh their their angles and, and everything about wrestling so they were that's why it was so protective back then they catered to a crowd uh that wanted to see uh see it real nowadays they cater to a crowd that thinks that everything is set up and that's a whole different agenda when you're when that's your goal target audience that, that you're looking at you know you don't you have to do certain things that you would have to do to protect the business anymore. But it, it, it hurts for people that still are attached to the OG flavor. Um, something that um, used to be part of the business that isn't so much anymore that I think of is uh, I, I was taught that uh, stiffness is good. Black eyes are, are good for the business. It makes it makes the business look good. And I always loved it when I had a black eye. 
you know sometimes a bloody lip would suck just because like i could feel it you know if i'm trying to drink or something um but i was brought in that way by sabu and by the sheik uh, whenever we'd be practicing and we'd get hurt and we get a mark on our face that's what we'd always hear is like yeah, it's good for the business and i truly believe that because we were out there um for however long however many minutes um beating the shit out of each other and even if it was a friendlier match with one of my one of my wrestler peers that i really liked if we were really competitive it would still be a very physical and rough match not the kind of a thing that any fan would survive the first five minutes of and so for me i always wanted to get back the respect that i felt like we should be earning in, in that way and so if i had to get a black eye to do it um that i loved i didn't give it to other people on purpose you know, but when I busted them open and stuff, um, and then it was, and then they were just saying, man, Rob kicks really hard. That doesn't sound really bad for the business, you know, um, depending on uh, who, who you're saying that to or, or the conversation. But I mean, as far as that being a, a characteristic of a, of a wrestler that the fans would pay to go see, you kick hard, you got a lot of sweet kicks, catch you from anywhere, different angle, boom. Guess what? That's, that's good for the business. So I kind of, I wish that would, I, I, that's the answer is I feel like the roughness, the, 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 the physicality that was better for the business back in the day has been replaced with work friendly, safe environment, uh, bullshit so that nobody is going to get a lawsuit or get sued or, or something for, um, you know, for crossing some line that they didn't know what was, was there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's awesome that you kind of mentioned that too, because we just talked about Becky Lynch. What really put her on the map is when she got punched by Nia Jax and she got the broken nose and blood was all over her face and she just embraced it, you know, and that mm -hmm. image of her with the bloody face and smiling, it's like iconic now. And that put her on the map and pushed her to stardom. So it's like, it's an aspect that, yeah, definitely is uh, kind of missing sometimes. It's like, hey, let's, and that, that was a mistake, but obviously that shit happens. Well, I mean, let's face it. Um, they, even though fans think they know how everything works, they, they don't know. And I have the privilege of knowing um, a, a lot of what goes on in the blur, in the blur in between uh, that confuses the fans. And let's face it, when it comes to people that can take uh, a set of heavy ass metal steps thrown into their forehead and have them pouring blood all over and, and keep fighting afterwards. That's something that you have to be a tough person. So even the fans that think this looks fun, I could do it. They're just playing. See if you could take a, a, a set of, uh, of steel steps to the forehead just pour, pour your blood out all over your face and see if you can keep going without crying and uh, crying and telling mommy to, uh, to stitch you up or whatever, because that right there separates a lot of uh, the, 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 the fans from the people that can actually do this and that do do this. So you guys are a rare breed. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> rare breed. <laughs> Another super chat. This one's off. The Beaten Path. Mick Mac, a regular on the Road Dog podcast. He always tunes in, so thank you, Mick Mac. Uh, 
299. Thank you. He says, why did you team up with Ricardo Rodriguez? Uh, Rob, I forgot you did that, actually, uh, in like 2013 and stuff during their feud with Alberto Dorio. Talk about that experience a little bit. Hmm. Trying to remember exactly how it started. I mean, I know that I was I was working with Alberto Del Rio, and uh, and mm-hmm. Rodrigo Rico was a uh, manager for him. And uh, but I don't know whose idea it was to, to for him to switch sides. I can't remember like when the idea was first presented to me either. I just remember like it kind of kind of something happened kind of quick. Like maybe he helped me a few times, favored me or didn't hand, didn't hand Alberto the weapon when he asked for it or something like that to where he showed, you know, that he wasn't really a heel. And then pretty soon uh, I've got him announcing my name for me to come down to the ring. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, it was weird. I remember seeing him wear the T-shirt, and I was like, "Dude, I totally forgot about that. That that happened." <laughs> I was seeing like online. <laughs> what did he team with Ricardo? And then I was like, "Oh, okay." But yeah, Ricardo's been doing some stuff in MLW, and uh, I've seen him in uh, working with some people backstage and stuff. He he seems like a pretty cool dude. So. Yeah, no, he's got his own thing going on up in uh, Pennsylvania. I I wrestled last year for for him. Uh, I think it was his first show and he's got, he had a wrestling school that he was just opening. And now, now he's been around for a minute and he's got a little bit of a, of a track record going, but um, damn, where the hell was that? It was uh, one of the Amish towns. Uh, it was a drive from Philly. Um, Lancaster. It was Lancaster. Yeah, oh. sure was. Good job. Hey, thanks. I know my Amish towns. <laughs> yeah, he's got a he's got a wrestling school there, and he runs a promotion there too. I had no idea. Wow. Yeah. Well, that makes sense too because he was at MLW in Philly, so it does make sense. That's not that far yeah. away. Speaking of that, uh, Matt Riddle was announced to sign with Major League Wrestling today. One of your future opponents coming up. So uh, he re- well, he was at Major League Wrestling. Is what you said? Yeah, he just signed. He signed with them. They announced that he's with the company now, but it, he actually had a previous tenure there. Uh, right before he signed with WWE, he was one of their main eventers there. So it's kind of neat he's going back there full circle. So hmm. nice. And that's the one out of Baltimore, right? Or no? That's the one. They're based out of New York City, but Different they one. do a lot of shows in Philly. They do a lot of shows in New York, and then they're going to Chicago here uh, later next year. So uh, they, oh, that's okay. the kind of their core area that they go to. So sweet. Uh, I, I got it mixed up with the ones out of Baltimore. It's maybe MCW. I don't know. MCW, that's the one you're thinking of. Okay. Uh, Danny McDivitt. Danny McDivitt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, guys. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. We'll wrap this up here pretty quick. Guys, if you want to, Rob, I meant to be mentioning this to you, too. We almost have 200 people watching us right now. So. Wow. We're up to 186. Yeah, how about that? So pretty thank you, everybody. Yeah, I'm trying to look through like some of the, some of the messages right now because people go through the trouble of axing them yeah, i want to try to see some of them um yeah uh so dude we need uh some rvdology music that's what we need so that we just know what's coming when we start hearing the, this familiar that, that music beat. i wonder i'll have to try to find some copy or like some youtube uh eligible stuff where we can just put it on i'll get something good going though i'll find something for it 
Um, yeah. Cool. Rob, you ready Damn, to wrap it up? We got, we got some conversation going here. I wish we had those on. Uh, I wish we could transfer those to the YouTube page somehow. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, Rob, you, I think you might be able to click on it. Can you click on the comment and they, they'll pop right up on the screen. If there's something that you want to address. Um, well, nothing happens when I click on it, but I just meant, you know, just for the traffic on our YouTube page. Oh, no, we're on our YouTube page, aren't we? Oh, I see. Are we or no? The, the, yeah, we're on our YouTube page. But is, the, is the, um, the, the comment feed, is that part of, that's part of YouTube or that's part of the studio? That's part of the YouTube. Yeah. So they're all, that's how they're interacting with us. It's through YouTube. So they're commenting. Oh, cool. And then um, typically when a super chat pops up, it'll highlight it and then I'll be able to address it. Uh, and I try to keep my eyes peeled for some uh, other good ones here. Um, but here, here's a couple ones. People we, earlier in the show, we mentioned about having pets and stuff like that. And yeah. some people chimed in with their stories here. So uh, Simon Daw says, it was one of the hardest things I ever had to decide. But in the end, my German Shepherd had lived a good life. So it's always tough to put down animals. Very tough to put down. Yeah. Um, and then another revamped Wrestling 2K says, I had a Westie, I have a Westie Pooley that is 12 years old, and I get sad because it's almost over, but it, I'm glad it's happened. See, it's definitely, it's very true. Let me tell you he something. Almost... You might think that you know you're going to have to deal with your dog um, and, and, and your dog's demise one way or another, but you don't know that. You really don't know. That dog might outlive you. Tomorrow's not guaranteed. And that might not be a very happy thing to say, but... That is my perspective always. That's part of how I think is when people talk about, you know, uh, someday, you know, when my kid's 30 years old, I'll be doing this and that. You're like, you hope so, motherfucker. You know, it, it's like people don't normally live a whole expectancy window and then die of old age. You know, they don't. My mom is 83 and I was telling her, you know, we're having this conversation. And I was just like, you know, she's, she got, I just turned 53. She's 30 years older than me, always has been. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was just, you know, I was just thinking like, man, that that's great. You know, my mom, she might die of old age, you know, just by, uh, she's going strong. She's healthy and that's great. And I was just thinking a lot of people don't do that. But they never expect to not do that, you know. Everyone, everyone just—we're all just wired to think a certain way. To think, well, you know, when I'm in my forties, I'll probably settle down then and get married and all that's okay. You don't fucking know you're gonna make it. You don't know you're gonna meet someone that wants to be with you. You don't know any of that shit. You know, I mean, how many people are gonna die before the end of the week? A lot. How many that we know? God, I don't. Let's hope none. Let's hope none. But realistically, there's a decent chance that that isn't true anyway. But whoever it is, I'm sure everyone that's dying that has a 12-year-old dog thinks they're going to be putting their dog down someday, and they're not. It's a know? great point, too, Rob. Like, if you're anybody that's living doesn't necessarily think, like, you always think you're going to get old. You don't know, but it's just like. You really don't know. And I've really tried to keep that in perspective too. Like lately is just being like, wow, you know, like, you know, Oh, I got to look forward to this coming up or I'm stressing out about this. Maybe I wouldn't have to, you just don't. And have it, I mean, it might come across kind of dismal. I don't, I don't want it to, but that is just the way that I always think. Like that's my perspective. I know that um, 
like I said, there's no, there's no, there's no guarantees and I'm not planning on going anywhere for a long time. And a lot of people watching that think, man, it's going to be sad when I see RVD go, guess what motherfuckers, you ain't even going to go to, you ain't going to see it. You're not going to, you're not going to outlive me. And you never even thought about that. Did you never even thought about that? But I did. There's just as good of a chance, you know, whether I know if it's true or not, you got to at least know that there's a good chance or at least a chance. You don't even have to know it's a good chance, but you have to know that it's a chance that what I'm saying is true, that you might not live uh, as long as you think that you're going to. And if you really can't see it that way, there's just no way you can bring yourself to admit that true possibility, then you're just not being real with yourself. And that's fine. We'll skip that RV theology lesson for you. There we go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll get to RV theology in a sec. We got a couple super chats that just chimed in. BTF Wayne. Thank you for $4 says peace. Rob pick two peace, people. <laughs> pick, pick, pick two people to be the AEW champ in 2024. If you had to pick two people, Rob, who, who are you going with in AEW? Man, you know, I, 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 uh, to be AEW champs, that's what it was. Yep. To be AEW. Uh, MJF and, uh, mm, let me see, let me see, let me see, let me see. Um, did I say MJF? You said MJF. <laughs> okay. And um, another one will be um, Jungle Boy. Ooh. All right. How about that? That would be an interesting one for sure. Hmm. Um, what about Sting? Sting? What if he ended his his whole career by winning the title at revolution and then retiring that'd be something interesting well then he'd have to retire the belt too wouldn't he i don't know i think i think if you're it's just like if you're applying for a job you got to be able to work the schedule i feel that's like a good point you know if, yeah yeah if you're applying to be AEW world champ you should probably stick around and you know punch in and out a couple of times at least you know <laughs> yeah it's like trying to get a job at myers and then saying i don't work mornings days or nights <laughs> <laughs> just don't happen if you don't know myers that's a midwestern <laughs> i don't know myers i don't you know yeah <laughs> saw it in battle <laughs> creek and i had grocery seen... store? what's that Is it's a huge store? Fucking store? everything store it's huge like oh, a walmart okay. Okay. yeah all right. Uh, final super chat potentially here. He says, Nick Cross, uh, Rob, Dominic, a very Merry Christmas to you both and have a Happy New Year. Thank you for everything you've done and do. Well, hey, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Merry Thank Christmas. You. Yeah, appreciate very it. Very much. Yes. All right. Uh, cool, man. I get a lot of, I get a lot of um, people that tell me that they like our podcast and they're digging it. And then, uh, but then sometimes when I, but I don't know, sometimes I look at, at, at like the, um, the views, like on the, on the clips on my YouTube and I'm like, Ooh, wow. You know, I got 12 views. Now it's usually, if we get a thousand, honestly, like that's good for us. Like, wow. That's kind of the standard where if it's like 300, then I was like, eh, you know, how long has it been up there? Hopefully it hasn't been up there that long. When it breaks a thousand and it's like, Ooh. And then, uh, some people that, really know how to uh 
get the algorithm or whatever the factors are. I don't think it's just the content. I don't. No, I it's don't not. I, it's definitely a lot of factors. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, like Maven, you can get half a million and he's rocking it. That, that's fucking awesome. But, um, but as long as people let me know that I am reaching them though, then it makes it still worth doing. You know, if some people tell me I'm helping them live a better life or whatever, then boom, you know, I don't, I don't need uh, half a million people to tell me that, but if I get a couple, then I know I'm not wasting my time. Right. You're, you're doing it. You're, you're right in the thick of things. Brad Armstrong would say, um, speaking of helping people out, Rob, he had my birthday too. I forget about him. Right. Did he have Brad Armstrong was uh, your same birthday? You December. Used to be. Still is. Yeah. I forgot about I, that. Christina. Yeah. Oh, Steve Austin. Yep. And Chris. And Chris and uh, DX. Oh my God. Yeah. Do you see my papers, baby? Oh, I do. Never mind. Dietrich's still kicking it over there, taking a nap. Hanging in there, hanging in there. Cherishing that time. All right, Rob, it is time. We got all the questions. We got all the questions. Guys, if you want to get last minute ones in, hit the super chat. Otherwise, we're doing RVDology and we're closing this baby out. So, Rob, RVDology time. What do you have for us this week? Well, dude, even it's a Christmas special and everyone's in the joy of uh, Christmas spirit. <laughs> However, uh, I want to talk about keeping positive energy through the holiday season and past that as well. And I want to talk about uh, specifically, I want to talk about mental health. This time of year, and that's not, this isn't even an RVD-ology value. If it is, I don't know what to call it except for keeping positive energy, which this is a root of, but basically I want to share my perspective. Now, if you you think that uh, drugs are bad, um, then you probably know that you and I don't agree on that. Uh, I believe that uh, use is good and abuse is bad. Um, I've had many, many, many friends overdose on the drugs. Um, I never thought it was the drug's fault. Uh, I know so many people that drink themselves to, uh, to diseases, to trouble, to horrible lives, and people aren't trying to get rid of the alcohol. Um, like they are with the oxycontins and with all of the painkillers. It's very, very hard for people to get any pain pills that actually need them, that actually wouldn't have a substance abuse problem and would have a better quality of life using these, uh, but they can't get them because of all of the people that abused it, that turned it into an epidemic that uh, changed the perspective and somehow made the drugs the bad guy. I don't share that view with you. And the reason that I'm bringing that up is because uh, I want to talk about mental health. And this time of year, you know, it's gay Christmas, joyous time of year. But also, it's cold as fuck. It's dark. The days are shorter. And then we got memories of uh, maybe like maybe like Christmases uh, when we were younger, when we were kids, and maybe people that uh, used to be around that aren't, 
Um, maybe there's pressure with all the holiday shopping and getting out there and dealing with the traffic. Uh, but it's a challenging time of the year. And uh, I have gotten uh, so many people reach out to me. And, you know, they've always told me that I um, affect them, you know, inspire them, uh, positive energy. I've had quite a few people tell me that they've been so depressed that they felt like suicidal and like they're battling. And one, you know, that's a lot of pressure for someone to, to, to come to you with and, and, and for you to think that it's your obligation to, to fix them. However, if you care, you don't want that person to die. And if you have some words that maybe could be helpful, why the hell not help somebody? So I think that's what I'm doing. So um, depression is a, a real thing that many people won't acknowledge. They treat it like it's not a real thing. It's just, it's just all in your head. And, and I'm somebody that is very much attached to positive energy, manifesting the life that you want, uh, the law of attraction, you know, the power of your thoughts becoming reality. I'm into all of that. However, I do also believe that there's some limits, you know, I love martial arts. Do I really think that the instructor can make himself grow roots through his feet into the earth so that he's unliftable all with his focus? Fuck no. And I called him on that. You know what I did in front of the class? I lifted him off the ground twice. <laughs> <laughs> so, man, let me try again. Let me try again. You're, you're just strongly. <sighs> okay, try again. I was like, like come on, dude. Um <laughs> So, but uh, likewise, you know, no matter how much uh, positive energy you got, no matter how much you try to keep everything in focus and perspective and keep the attitude of gratitude, be friendly, love, be loved, sometimes there's still depression. Sometimes all of that shit isn't enough. And some of my listeners probably know what I'm talking about. Mm. So people that don't believe what I'm saying is true are going to say, ah, what do you got to be depressed about? You got a great life or you need to get outside. You need to get outdoors. You need to get away from that. Whatever. They got the answers. But in reality, brain chemistry it's everything. It controls everything of how we feel. And, and our brain chemistry sometimes gets unbalanced. We have so much going on all day with our brain. Uh, and, you know, there's certain serotonins and dopamines and there's certain hormones that are released. And, and all of that affects different things from moods, you know, like depression or, or happiness. Um, down to, um, uh, you know, working, working with the stomach and, um, you know, making you, making you hungry. And, um, what's that shit that's, uh, their liver releases. Um, uh, anyway, that's not important. What's important is that sometimes some medication can help balance you out and the haters are going to tell you you're weak. They're going to tell you, you don't need it. 
it's all in your head. You're just depressed because uh, you keep thinking about that girl that dumped you or that, that thing or that person that you lost or whatever. But in reality, sometimes some medication might be, might be made perfect for you to help equalize and balance your brain chemistry so that you know what? You're not weak anymore. So that you can talk without crying and, and actually feel strong and be able to enjoy life again. And you know what? You might need it for a temporary amount of time just to get you out of the hole you're in. You might need it for a very long time. And you know what? You might even need it for life. Now, ooh, ooh, that's scary, right? People don't want to be hooked on a drug and depend on a drug like it's a crutch. And I get it. I get it. I mean, that's the way that we're taught to look at uh, at most medicines. You know, your body becomes addicted to it so much that you can't be without it. But some people have faulty wiring in their brain and without the proper medication, they're not going to have the, the, the properly balanced brain chemistry. What do these people do? Kill themselves. They stay depressed, can't get out of it. So I'm telling you, <laughs> keep checking on me to make sure I'm okay. This is heavy. Mm. This is a heavy one. But, you know, like you never know what someone else is going through. And I always say that. And like, you know, lately we've been like spending our time watching Petrie just wither away, which isn't fun. Uh, and, you know, it's easy to get, it could be really easy to get depressed. And, and I do believe in all of the tactics, you know, about, you know, no think positive thoughts and it is good to get out and, and do happy stuff. Don't get me wrong, but I would never turn my back on drugs the way the society has been taught to since Nancy Reagan said, just say no to drugs. Drugs can be wonderful if they're used properly. Um, they have the potential to be dangerous, just like anything, like a gun, like a car, <laughs> like a like a dog. Um, it doesn't make them it doesn't make them bad. And when people say drugs are bad, they're obviously only thinking about certain drugs and and they're not really even including drugs and what drugs are. They're being very particular and and, and and defining with their own borders what drugs are. Drugs are drugs. Aspirin is drugs, just like heroin is drugs. And for the record, heroin, morphine, cocaine, all that shit used to be in medicine. They used to be sold in uh, in bottles and cough syrup and things like that. And uh, anyway, my point is that sometimes you need a little help. And if you need a little help and you want to get checked out by a doctor and, and a doctor might want to put you on some antidepressants or something, don't fucking feel like a pussy and don't be afraid to do it. RVD's telling you to fucking do it. I take them. My mom does. 
My brother, my sister, my dad did. My wife does. And as far as like getting addicted and uh, having them as a crutch or whatever, dude, one, not everybody is even uh, addictive. I've said this many times. I don't get addicted to anything. I don't care how many people tell me that if I drink four cups of coffee every day for two weeks, don't stop, I'll get a headache. I don't care if I have 5,000 people tell me that. It still doesn't make it true. I drank five or six cups of coffee today, five or six yesterday. You know what? If I don't drink any tomorrow, because instead I get up and I go on a flight and I want to sleep on the flight, so I don't want to have get whatever. Doesn't mean I'm going to feel the way that you do. I do it all the time. And just because you might have a problem with it doesn't mean I do. And also, just because you don't have a problem coping with life and feeling good doesn't mean everyone else is the same either. We all got our own brain chemistry, our own makeup. And uh, I used to think that it was weed. And weed does help me me feel better, you know what I mean? But I used to think that was enough, and there was a point when it wasn't enough. But if you all watch that wrestler show on uh, Netflix that El Snow, uh, El Snow did, Hollywood Haley was saying that she smokes weed and it helps her with depression, and they were trying to get her to stop saying they didn't want her to smoke. And that was the point of her argument was they don't understand. This actually helps me. Um, but you know what? If a doctor put her on pills or something, and I'm not saying everybody should. And a lot of people have had bad experience. I know of some people that weren't suicidal until they got on Prozac and took Prozac and drank on it, and then they became suicidal. And uh, I know that that can happen, but, you know, that's, really just like if you open up your heart uh, to a new relationship, it's possible you might get heartbroken. That can happen. Doesn't mean it's going to, doesn't mean there's a great chance of it. And by the way, it's, you might have to try different pills, different dosages until you find the one that's, that, that's just exactly right for you. And then it takes like two weeks of that till you even fucking know. That's been my experience. Um, Grieving. They say grieving is healthy, right? It's healthy. Is it? I think so. At certain times, you, you have to grieve. And if you don't get a chance to grieve and it builds up, that sometimes seems like it can come out in inopportune moments. Um, but if grieving is healthy, you know, when, when is too much? When you're, when you're grieving too much all the time, and you can't kick out. You know, when is it too much? When is it healthy? There's people to help you with that. There's doctors. You don't need to decide everything yourself. If you're even questioning it, if you're wondering, like if I'm, uh, if I'm down too much or I'm just focused on all the bad and sad and can't, can't get out of it, any of us can get there. Any of us can get there. And if it's you, then I gave you permission to try and get some help. It's not easy, not easy, but pick up the phone. Um, fucking, uh, Dominic's going to put a phone number right here. No, I don't think we have one, but look what I don't have Maybe we'll get one. Maybe we'll get one. We should have, should have thought of that. Um, anyway, dude, um, everyone is, is different. Um, you know, we talked about like with the animals, uh, how we put them down when they, when they sometimes maybe too early, sometimes who knows with people, 
aside of from Dr. Kevorkian's death machine, um, you know, it's uh, uh, some people would wish that they that they could uh, just die, and and then you know, there's uh, people that are super depressed that uh, find a way to hit their own button anyway, and of course that's um, that's what I'm just talking about suicide. And around this time of year, I think it can uh, be kind of high. I'm putting my awareness out there, telling you guys to be aware, talk about your own stories, talk about your own feelings, get open, share it. And don't let anybody tell you that uh, that you're a pussy and you got no reason to be depressed. If you're depressed, you're depressed. And I'll tell you the reason why. It's brain chemistry. So tell them to fuck off. That's great, Rob. What a, I also take medication and I see a therapist. It's, it helps. It saved my life on several occasions. Um, and to your point, too, a lot of experimenting and, and going with it and trying to find the right, like, medicine. medicine Same, to be, huh? what takes, takes a while. But yeah, I had horrible. That was horrible for me, trying the wrong things. Sometimes I'd go out and I'd just be bawling. I wouldn't even know it was coming. I'd be out at dinner and just start crying. I was like, um, I don't think I got the right meds. I think we got to try something else or switch this up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, but it was it wasn't a good experience. Don't do all that. But but then once I found it, it took you know everyone told me it would take two weeks, and it was like exactly at two weeks that all of a sudden I could be like, yeah, my dad died, and uh, I'm not balling. My dog died. Whoa! All of a sudden it was like magic. It was like it wasn't numb. It was good. It felt strong. It felt like. Uh, um, like something was pushing back that thing that was trying to come out. Is that how it was with you? Yeah, it was. And there would be moments where like, I would, I was seriously depressed and like, seriously, there'd be just moments where I would like, yeah, I'd feel lonely or I'd cry or anything like that would happen. And like in that moment where like, and different experiment, like I had several medications, one made my hand shake. The other one would like, I would not like, I would zone out. And like, just not for me. I think it was, I don't even remember what they were, Wellbutrin or whatever it was, either way. I take that one and Lexapro. So Lexapro, that's the one that made my handshake, actually. Yeah, so, so everyone's it, different. Everyone wants to tell you what works based on their own experience. And they're all idiots for that. Absolutely. And it's like, it fits to your brain chemistry and what it is. And I think a key to kind of take away and what I've learned over the time is when you're in the thick of your feelings and you're feeling depressed and stuff like that, you can't take that for reality. It's not necessarily reality. It's just what your body and your brain is is telling you that their chemistry is all mixing it up and making you feel a certain way. And that's very hard to keep in perspective at times. And uh, But a great, great RVDology, Rob. This is, yeah, very, a lot of people have already commented in it too. Um, Good. Yeah, yeah. And you're right. That's why it feels like there's like a big uh wall of darkness that surrounds you and you can't see past it no matter how much happy shit you got going on in your life right 100 that's, that's 100%. the reality is only as far as you can see and it's nothing but dark so yeah happens to all of us well Absolutely. some of all <laughs> some of all of us, of all of us. <laughs> not just uh, you is what i'm saying you're okay. right you <laughs> know says you're honestly one of the most level-headed guys talking about mental illness and appropriate drug use again the brain can malfunction just like anything else in the body keep it real RVD. yeah cool man yeah i should probably talk about my personal experience uh, even more than i do but felt um inspired to do it right now good time with everything that's going on jennifer um love you jennifer 
says, um, I love what y'all are talking about right now. It's pretty cool that men can talk about mental health. Solid ass men. So that's cool. Yeah. Good, Good, man. Hopefully uh, some people will appreciate it. And uh, we are uh, mission driven here to uh, make the world a better place. Indeed. TK man gave us 20 bucks. You didn't have to do that, man. But thanks. Love the chat, Rob. Like chilling with an old friend. So awesome. Very, very interesting. Right on. Guys, you, you go back and listen to this too again if you need to, because Rob definitely made salient points and very it's it really speaks to the experience that people suffering through mental health goes through. It really does too. So uh very cool stuff. Um as far as what you guys like what you see, hey. Follow Rob at the real RVD. Follow uh, the RVD pod at rvdpod.com. Get all the clips there. You can follow me at Dominic D'Angelo. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, you can tune in early if you don't catch it live at the Premier Streaming Network every Friday at 4.20 p.m. This drops early. But, but you can get everywhere starting out Monday at 4.20 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on your podcast feed of choice or on YouTube potentially too. So, like, subscribe, share, comment, give us some feedback. Constructive criticism is always good. And hey, love your pets, love yourself, and keep everything in perspective, guys. Rob, what a great show. This has been an awesome one. We had 200 people, over 200 people listening. At That's our awesome. And don't forget to get your pets neutered. No one's going to know that unless they listen. Yeah, listen to that guy, Bob Barker. Hey, you got him right there. You got there it. There he is. Come on down. <laughs> yep. That's great. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Merry, Merry Christmas, Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, guys. Have a good one. I was waiting for some kind of sign, some kind of indication. I was waiting.